Good morning, Anchor community. How we doing, guys? We doing good? You guys are clapping at the bumper, so I know you guys are doing good this morning. I know you guys are doing good. Hey, this morning we're talking about cultivating anticipation. Anybody need help with cultivating anticipation? You're like, no, fully anticipating Christmas, excited about that, no need to cultivate it. Well, for those of us uh, who maybe need to understand what it looks like to cultivate anticipation, I think all of us, we're talking about it. My wife, Candace, and I, we've been watching Hawkeye lately. Anybody watching Hawkeye with us, Disney Plus, in the house? Nobody, okay, <laughs> nobody. Okay, welcome to the crew. Uh, the rest of us should, don't we think, everybody should join the team. Everybody should join the team. It's really good. Uh, here's, here's the thing that I don't like though, guys. Uh, spoiler alert. At the end of every episode, uh, something tragic happens. Um, it ends. It's so good. It ends. And, and, like, and like, here's the thing. If you're familiar with Marvel movies, you know what happens in the credits. You look towards the credits for a little bit of a teaser, an appetizer, a little, little starter plate for the next one, right? And you kind of are anticipating that. And so that at least is kind of a little bit of a balm on the fact that it's ended. And, and then, so I've, I've like combed through those credits in Hawkeye and I have not seen any of those little teasers for the next one. So I'm, I'm actually dealing with a little bit of frustration right now. I realize that I've been formed by Netflix with my viewing practices. Netflix, they just drop a whole series on you and they say, have fun kids go at it, you know, and, and sometimes you can watch one or two, or I've never done it. I've heard people have done it. 10, you know, you could do that if you wanted to. I wouldn't recommend it, but you could do that. Uh, but it leaves you, Disney's mastered the art. And of course they've mastered the art. They've mastered the art of, of causing us to anticipate, causing us to anticipate. Let me say, say this, everything significant in your life that shows up on your calendar, you anticipate, anticipate. Sometimes, you know, uh, your spouse puts something on your calendar and you get alerted to it right before it starts. So you don't have a lot of time to anticipate it. I've been there, but, but anything that is significant that shows up in your life that, like, that, that you can plan on, that you're approaching, that doesn't catch you off guard, but that you're looking forward to, you anticipate. Anticipation is what it means to be human. Kids looking forward to Christmas and some of you adults, you're like, I'm also looking forward to Christmas. So, so all of us that may be looking forward to Christmas. We have these advent calendars, right? Growing up, I'm going to say something that sounds weird. Uh, when I was young, um, when I was a kid back in the old days, um, we had these advent calendars with chocolate in them. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, the chocolate was terrible. Let's be honest. It was terrible. Still is, I hear. Word on the street. So, so do you know that they put paraffin wax in chocolate? Did you know that? So there's sometimes more wax than chocolate. Anyways, it was just terrible enough to eat one and then the next day you forgot how terrible it was so you would come back and you'd eat another and then you'd forget how bad it was and so it was perfect. You wouldn't have to like fight off the temptation to open up another unless you were a chocolate addict and there's, maybe there, we can talk about that later. But, but nowadays they got those Lego advent calendars. I'm just, I just credit my wife and I, we must be really good parents so that our kids haven't opened up everyone on the first day. It must be the parenting. <laughs> Anticipation, right? Anticipation. The first date, maybe you're, you know, like dating and it's like the first date into that, that season and you're like 
I haven't had my palms get sweaty in a while. I haven't breathed, have a shortness of breath for a while, right? And that's anticipation. High school prom, looking forward to that day, anticipation. The email that you're hitting refresh on, anticipation. The tracking number you keep hitting. <laughs> Somebody knows what I'm talking about. Anticipation, right? Right now, I'm, as a pastor, I'm a little peek into my heart. I'm anticipating Christmas Eve gathering. It's going to be so fun in here, guys. Yeah, Susan, Susan, uh, Susan is clapping. She's on our staff. Uh, she, we did, we're not paying her to clap, but... Uh, <laughs> But I'm, I'm excited about Christmas Eve gatherings. We do have some surprises. It's fun. It's, it's something that's like we get to celebrate. And like we're participating now in this season of Advent. We're looking forward. Like the, all of Old Testament, we're looking forward to the birth of Messiah. We're joining in the expectation and anticipation of the Old Testament. Looking forward to the birth of Jesus. Christmas Eve gatherings. We get to celebrate that. Your neighbors are more likely to come to a Christmas Eve gathering than they would maybe any other time of the year. Invite people. Anticipate with us. But as Jesus followers, we're ultimately looking forward to the day where Jesus will return. Like it might not be on your mind. It might not be like on your like alerts, pay time, you know, spend some time contemplating the return of Jesus. That might not be like on your to-do list, but like as Jesus followers, that's our heart cry because Jesus, when Jesus comes, he'll wipe away all tears. He'll, he'll, there'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more injustice. There'll be more, no more sin. The creation will be restored and there'll be perfect union with God's people and, and God's presence. He says the dwelling of God will be with man. And, and really that is all of humanity's ache. Some people may not know that that is what they ache for, but all humanity aches for the day when all sin will be done away with because we're all made in the image of God and Jesus followers, we get to anticipate that day. We get to anticipate that day when there's perfect justice and perfect peace. Anticipation, guys. Anticipation. Here's the thing though. Have you ever had your anticipation get interrupted? Have you ever been anticipating something and like, then you just keep anticipating something and all of a sudden the thing you're anticipating, you, you start asking, but it's not, when will, where is it? Sometimes anticipation gives way to angst. Angst. You know angst? That face palm frustration, that being caught in the situation where you don't want to be caught, but you can't get out of angst. If anticipation is ex being excited about something on the horizon, angst is something that you are frustrated about being in the middle of. It's kind of the mirror image. Let me say something that's unpopular. Angst is normal. Angst is a normal part of being human. And if you live close to other humans, you're bound to experience angst because we are experts at not fulfilling each other's expectations. Angst is normal. So the question is, how does angst become what we're calling today holy angst? Because whereas angst itself will deprive us of our joy and, and take apart our faith, holy angst actually puts us in this sweet spot where we are conformed to the image of Jesus and our faith grows even as we are weaned from things we want, okay? So how does angst become holy angst? Our template, our example, our, mo our model for this is the person of Daniel. And uh, we're going to be looking at 
Daniel, the block of the story block is Daniel chapter nine and 10. We're gonna be taking some verses from different points in this story block. And I wanna say at the outset that we are like this story block in the book of Daniel nine and 10 is probably some of the most, has one of the most like interesting passage of scripture in the whole Bible. There's visions and dreams and prophecies and 77s and, and spiritual warfare. It gets, it gets interesting. Um, and in a classic pastoral move, we are going to avoid all of that stuff for this time. <laughs> Here's the thing though. We do want to look closer at challenging passages rather than look away from challenging passages as a discipline of scripture here at Anchor. So rather than spending some time focusing on the inner workings of prophecy and spiritual warfare, uh, stop by the Anchor, uh, the, sorry, the info table, sign up for the Anchor Weekly, which is our weekly email, and we will load that with some really helpful resources to, that has you can engage with some of that, so that interesting stuff there in this passage. But what Daniel does is Daniel makes this movement from angst to holy angst. And Daniel is 80 years old when we pick up the story. He's already seen the lion's den. He has already watched his homies in the furnace. He's already experienced that. He's been betrayed, set up. He's, been, he's experienced all of that stuff. He's in exile, which is, which is when you're in exile, you're not in your homeland. You're taken away from your homeland and for either for safety reasons or other reasons, you're away from it. And Daniel is in exile because of Israel's sins. God allowed Israel to go into the promised land, said, don't worship idols, care for the poor. That's a summation of a large bit of the prophets and the Mosaic law. And, and Israel worshiped idols and they didn't care for the poor. So God allowed them to be carried into exile. And so that's where Daniel is. He's 80 years old, like I mentioned. He's an old man. He's seen a lot and he's dealing with some angst and he uh, works that out through study of scripture and prayer. But we're going to press into this in, in chapter nine, verses one and two. It says, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood. You might want to underline that, highlight that. I, Daniel, understood from what? From the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now, what does Daniel do? The first thing we see him do in his period of angst, he's frustrated. If you look at the context, he doesn't want to be in exile. He wants to go to his homeland. The first thing he does is he understood from the scriptures. If you're going to move from from, if, your, if your anticipation has been interrupted by angst, the first thing we do in that situation is we seek to understand. God, what are you doing here? We seek to understand. There's a difference that's important to note from Daniel and us. Daniel had specific prophecies written about his specific situation. I don't know about you. I, I, that's never happened to me. I haven't had any specific prophecies in scripture written about my specific situation. Uh, if you've had that happen to you, tell me in the lobby afterwards. I'd love to hear more. Um, but Daniel has had specific prophecies in scripture written about his specific situation. So we can't necessarily relate to Daniel on that level, but we can relate to him on the, the principle. The principle like found in Psalm 20, 73, if you're, if you know this Psalm, it's a, really beautiful psalm about angst and moving forward to understand. The psalmist in Psalm 73 is wrestling with injustice all around him. He's looking at people that are, that are, that are 
they're evil, they're prospering, they're going forward, they're excelling, they're growing, and he's trying to be faithful to God and he keeps on being squashed and not getting the opportunities that all the evil people are getting. And so he's frustrated. And so what he says is in Psalm 73, he says, I did not understand until I went into the sanctuary, until I sought to understand, until I placed myself in a place where I was in a position to understand. You see, the first thing, if we're going to follow Daniel, if we're going to follow the psalmist's example of in our angst moments, we have to put ourselves in a position to understand. A lot of times we can read scripture from an above position. When you read scripture from an above position, you're looking down critically at it, dissecting it, sometimes in an unhelpful way. And you might, you might be able to critique it, but you won't be able to understand it because you're sitting from a critical posture of being above it. If you, wanna, if you wanna understand scripture, if you wanna put yourself in a seeking, understanding position of scripture, you have to move from being above scripture to being below scripture. You can only understand scripture truly if you put yourself under scripture. Now that doesn't mean that we put away our critical thinking, that we put away scholarship. No, it does mean our heart posture is wanting to receive from it rather than critique it. You can't understand scripture if you put yourself over scripture. What Daniel did is he understood from scripture, meaning that he was looking at scripture as the source of wisdom that could offer direction to him. The psalmist says, I went into the sanctuary wanting to hear from God about what's going on in the world. I was trying, I was seeking understanding from scripture. I was seeking understanding from God. If you go into a situation, say, well, I can't really believe this, but I'm going to try anyways. That doesn't put yourself in a position to understand. Understanding first depends on the position you set yourself in. It's also important to note that our understanding, when we're in an angst position, when our anticipation has been interrupted, when we're feeling frustrated, our understanding that we get from God, from his word, will never be perfect at this point. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Verse 12 says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Now, okay, all of us, we can pull out our phones. We can put the reverse camera. We can get a pretty good reflection. Some of us are like, wish it wasn't that good, you know? Uh, you know, we can look in a mirror in the bathroom or wherever and we can get a pretty good reflection. In the first century world of Paul, Paul, that Paul is writing to and interacting with, they did not have that kind of technology. I know, mind-boggling. What they did have were these pieces of glass that were imperfect, that were painted black, and it really provided this cloudy, imperfect reflection of yourself. And so when Paul says mirror, he's not saying the things that we experience. He's saying some very, very imperfect reflections. So he says, what we have now is this reflection as in this dark, cloudy glass. Then, he goes, then when Jesus returns, when he comes, makes all things known and new, we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, uh, know fully, even as I'm fully known. Here's why this is important. If we're moving in this angst place, if our, if our anticipation has been interrupted by angst and we're trying to follow Daniel's example, the psalmist's example, and we get into a place where we seek understanding and we find that our understanding 
is not all the way filled in yet. There's still gaps in our understanding. We might be continue to feel frustrated or angst. What we need to know is that our understanding in those situations will never be perfect. You wanna have all the answers. You won't know the why that happened and how come it didn't happen a different way and, and why, when will it happen? Some of those answers might not be given to you. And if you go in there thinking that, sometimes there will be frustration. So we need to know our understanding will never be perfect. But the second point or the third point is equally important. You will, your understanding will be enough. When you put yourself in a heart posture of seeking understanding from God and his word, it will never be perfect, but it will always be enough. Because what you'll learn in, as you lean in, as you press in, as you move towards, you'll find that God is merciful in the midst of the angst, in the midst of the interrupted anticipation. You'll find that God is loving. You'll find that there is still hope. You'll find that God never wastes a moment. He never wastes a thing. And that everything that's happening in your life may not be fully explained in your life, but will be used to transform you into the image of his son, Jesus. Understanding depends on posture. It will never be perfect, but it was always enough. And the next thing we see as we follow Daniel in verse three, it says, so I turned to the Lord. You can underline that. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. The Hebrew therefore turned to the Lord is, is actually much more beautiful than this translation. Uh, it is, um, uh, I set my face. I set my face upon the Lord. Think about when you set your face on someone or something. It's like this, I'm not turning back. I'm not flinching. I'm focused, staring contest vibes. My face is set. Here's, it's important to note this. You can seek understanding. You can seek it. You can put yourself in a posture of seeking it. You can know that it's imperfect. That all the understanding is imperfect. You're going to realize that. You can know the understanding will be enough. But, then, but you can gain this understanding. And if you don't next step set your face, you'll sit on the understanding and the understanding will grow stale. If we're going to move from angst to holy angst, if we're going to move forward in our angst and not just sit there, we've got to seek the understanding and then we have to set our face. Daniel does something significant there. It's conscious and deliberate. It says, he says, I prayed, I petitioned, which means it's a type of prayer where I'm not just kind of like reflecting on God, but I'm asking big things of God. I'm, God, would you move? I'm, he's praying, he's petitioning, he's fasting. I know, radical, right? And then he gets into some sackcloth and ashes. Who recently has done that? Anyone want to start a little sackcloth ashes revival? Here's the point. It may look different for you, but how are you in that moment when you start to gain some understanding, deciding, committing to setting your face? Here's, here's something that's true. When you set your face, you behave in a way that not everyone understands. But when you set your face, you have insight 
that only those that set their face have. I used to run a lot um, and uh, skateboarding is taking over running as the primary hobby for me. Um, so that's just putting a little fishing line out there. Anybody skates, come talk to me afterwards. But when I was running, I was like, it's a, it was a big part of my life. I ran in college. I, it, was a, it was a big part of my life. And I'd get up at 6 a.m., 37 degrees, pouring down rain. It's going sideways. I still go for a run. Later in the day, they say, hey, how was your morning? Like, oh, great. I got up early. They're like, looking outside, you, got it, you ran in that? And I'm like, well, I, would set, I set my face. When you set your face on something, you, you do something in the face of discomfort, in the face of opposition. You do something. You engage in it. And, and people might not understand, but you have the understanding that not everyone has. Why? Because you set your face. Here, this is vital for us to understand. Angst without seeking to understand and without setting your face always becomes apathy, anger, and apprehension. Angst without making this two-part movement of, of setting, of under seeking understanding and setting your face without, without doing those two things, it will always end up in anger, apprehension, or apathy. And we understand now why there's so much of that out there in the world. And if we were to be honest, in the church as well. Question is, anchor, anchor community. Have we sought to understand have we put ourselves in a place to understand? If we, we pressed in, have we realized that it'll never be enough, but it'll always be, or it'll never be perfect, but it'll always be enough? Have we, have we set our face? Next thing we see as we follow Daniel's example in chapter 9, verses 4 and 6, he engages in what I'm calling pressing in prayer. There's lots of types of ways to pray, right? What I'm calling this a certain type of prayer called pressing in prayer. He says, Lord, this is, there's a long prayer and I'm just going to read a couple of uh, glimpses of it here. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Okay, first thing we see in this prayer is that what I'm, it's what I'm calling in, in this expression of pressing in prayers, he, like there's this honest owning of sin. <laughs> sin is kind of a cultural swear word right now, right? You know, I... You don't have like a, your work supervisor saying, hey, I want to invite you to my office. But notice the sin issue. That would be like, okay, where's HR? Because <laughs> I don't think we're talking to, what? Like sin isn't like a common term that we use. It's not something that like is, is out there. But here's the thing, like the principle of sin, of wrong and right, even though it might not be commonly used out in the world, is still very operable. Liberal, uh, the, the liberal bias, there's two biases, liberal, conservative, liberal bias tends to see sin as public issues and systemic issues. The conservative bias is more like sin is related to private issues and personal issues, individual choices. Scripture sees the idea of sin really as something that involves our personal life and our public life. It involves everything because everything connects to living righteously before, the God, before God in our personal and in our public life because God wants to have his shalom affect and infect every part of our lives. 
The first thing we see Daniel do is, is just like, hey, you said that if we worshiped idols and didn't care for the poor, we would end up in this situation. It happened, God. I'm, I'm honestly owning it. But the next part is very important as well. He has a clear focus on God. The first part of that prayer says, look at the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. These two parts are, of this prayer are equally important. You cannot have an honest owning of sin and have it be actual, a biblical, a reflection of biblical discipleship if you don't also have a really clear focus on God and his grace. We either have rigid, toxic religiosity that causes people to feel bad about themselves without the hope that is offered in God, or you have some type of kind of like just rule-focused, non-religious policy that causes people to feel like they're not ever gonna measure up, and so they just give up. Daniel has both the clear focus on God and an honest owning of the error of his ways and his people's ways. He has these, both of these things together and he calls it a covenant of love. This idea that God's so, so connected to his people that like he is pledging himself to them. It's not just like a contract that says, if you fulfill your end, I'll fulfill mine. But he is covenanting something that is stronger than contractual language that doesn't have escape clauses. God is saying, I'm with you. And even when you're a mess, I'm still with you. Both of these things are important if we're going to be pressing in in prayer. When you're in this angst moment, like, the type of prayer that really helps you gain understanding and move forward is like, okay, I'm searching my own heart before I'm critical about, critical about everything that I think has caused angst in my life. I'm searching my own heart first. I'm digging down deep into my own, my own wrestle and my own challenges, my own gaps, my own fault, my own failures. I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm not denying it. I'm looking at it. Then I'm also looking unswervingly at the grace of God. This is what I'm doing. And the two things that happen there when you do that is you become profoundly thankful. And you become profoundly humble. You don't become judgmental. Thankful, humble, no judgmental. Honest owning of sin. Clear focus on God. And then the third element of what we're calling pressing in prayer is confident appeal. Check this out in verse 17. At the end of this prayer, Daniel says, Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen, Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake. My God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Daniel is saying directives to God. 
He's saying, God, move. Would you move? Move now. Come, God. Come on. Look at this place. Would you, would you move? All three of these things of this prayer are important. That he's honest, like, hey, we messed up. God, you're good. Would you move? This is pressing in prayer. Here's one thing I want us to know about pressing in prayer. Pressing in prayer is not defined solely by the quantity of time you spend praying. Oftentimes in sermons about prayer, I end up feeling guilty because I am, I'm not praying for three hours or for two hours or for whatever. It's defined more by the quality of the time you spend praying. Quantity is good, but quantity doesn't mean much if there isn't quality there. You can have some time pressing in in prayer pretty quickly. You might just want to even write this down because you might just have this as a template, as a model of prayer. God, I confess, fill in the blank. God, I confess, fill in the blank. God, you are strong and kind and merciful. I see that in these ways. Fill in the blank. God, would you move in my life in this area? Fill in the blank. Saying that with a heart of faith is pressing in. Saying that with the heart of faith brings you from the angst into holy angst, into, dare I say, anticipating again in your life. Daniel spends a lot of time in this moment of pressing in prayer in and out. And in chapter 10, verse 12, we see this. There's this resolution to that. It's not complete. It's not perfect. It's not final, but there's this beautiful resolution. An angel comes to Daniel and he begins speaking. And then halfway through the angel says this, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding, seeking understanding and humble yourself, the position you take before God, your words were what? Heard. Some of you are wondering, are my prayers heard? Some of you are wondering what happens when I pray if I don't see the result of that prayer. Daniel gives us the window. This angel gives us a window that our God is a God that hears, even though the actions, the response may not be on our timeline. Your words were heard and I have come in response to them. We can anticipate God to move this season if we seek to understand, if we set our face and we press in in prayer. The band can come up at this point and I just wanna, I guess, encourage us. Because if you're like me, um, you're someone that does this imperfectly. There's seasons in my life where I feel more angst than holy angst. When the anticipation is interrupted, but uh, you know, I, I, I stall out a little bit on moving towards that pressing in prayer. So I just wanna encourage us all, myself included, that the way forward is seeking to understand. It's setting our face and pressing, pressing in. The good news is that our model is someone greater than even Daniel. It's Jesus himself. For Jesus, when he, in the midst of his angst, looking towards the cross, prayed a prayer of holy angst. God, could you make this cup pass? But knowing that the answer was moving forward, not away from the cross, said, your will be done. 
But in his prayer, in his pressing in prayer, in his setting of the face, whereas Daniel confessed his sin, Jesus moved towards bearing our sin. He is one greater than Daniel who bridged the gap between our brokenness and the holiness of God so that we wouldn't live in light of our brokenness, but live in light of the fact that God has delighted in us and rescued us. And that's what we celebrate with communion. We celebrate that every week here because we think the message of hope should be the most fixed and focused in our mind. The last supper, Jesus took the bread, broke it and offered to the disciples, says, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And this is the new covenant. This is, this is for the forgiveness of sins. And he took the cup and he says, this is my blood. It's shed for you. It's, it's, it's for you. It's the new covenant for, for the forgiveness of sins. And eat and drink. Like as long as you gather together, do this so that you're aware that your brokenness doesn't have the last word, but my grace does. So we invite you to come up to any of the stations during this next song. There's gluten-free there in the, by the sound booth. And then there's also opportunities for prayer. You might have a big prayer request here. You might have something that you need prayer for. We don't want you to leave before you receive prayer. So there's people that have been trained to pray and take advantage of that. So I just want to, before we move into this, I just want to pray for all of us. You might close your eyes kind of, Take a deep breath, center yourself on just the fact that you are loved right where you're at by God. Right where you're at. You don't have to do anything to be loved by God. You just are. So holy God, come. We look forward, we anticipate your renewal of all things that comes when you come again. We anticipate celebrating your birth this Christmas Eve as a community but in our own lives, in our own issues, in our own angst moments, would you help us? Give us guidance, lead us the way as we seek to understand, set our face and press in. We pray that you would move Holy Spirit in our midst, in our hearts, in our minds, in our relationships, in our lives. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus.